Uh, several years ago, I pastored a church up in Wisconsin, and um, <clears throat> right across from where we met, there was a, a coffee shop, and uh, I got to know the baristas. I know that's a complete shock to you guys, <laughs> but there was two, um, two baristas there. They were sisters, and they were both college students, and they were very nice, and <clears throat> one day, I was in there. It was a summer day, and yes, Wisconsin does have a summer. It's about 30 days long, but still, <laughs> it was a summer day, and we were, um, I walked in, and one of the sisters was working, and the other one was studying, and so I sat down at the table next to her and said, you know, hey, how's it going? We had a little conversation, went back to our studying, and a short period of time afterwards, I got up to get a refill. I do that a lot, <laughs> and so... I um, walked past her, and because it was summertime, she was wearing kind of a sleeveless thing, and I noticed that she had a tattoo on her shoulder. And I said, hey, did you get some new ink? <clears throat> and she said, well, yeah, actually, I, I did. And she said, do you, do you recognize the symbol? I said, no, I'm, I've never seen that one before. And I wish I could describe it to you, and I, I, I can't remember. And I, I said, uh, so what, what is it? She goes, well, it hel helps me remember. And I could tell she's a little hesitant. And uh, <clears throat> um, I'm really good at asking questions, so I said, remember what, <laughs> right? And uh, she said, well, um, it's kind of personal, and, and I realized that the conversation had just turned a corner, and so I sat down across from her, and, and I said, hey, you don't have to tell me anything you don't want to. And she goes, no, it's just it's one of those things. I'm never really sure how somebody's going to react. Well, fortunately, I'm like a cat, and I get curious about stuff. And, but anyway, she, she looked at me. She says, it helps me remember that I'm a bulimia survivor. And she watched my face. She drilled me with her eyes. And I remember saying something to the effect of, I don't remember exactly, but it was, Wow. I said, I'm sorry that you went through that, but it is clear to me that you are stronger and you made it through. And she just relaxed. And she told me a little bit of her story. Fast forward a couple years later, <clears throat> I'm uh, spending some, a little bit of time on, on Facebook. Um, and uh, a friend of mine from high school, uh, she was about two years behind me. We attended the same church growing up. And um, uh, we'd been friends on Facebook for a while. Um, knew her family. In fact, um, her mother would cut hair, and I would go visit her when I actually had some. So, so I knew the family fairly well. But <clears throat> I noticed on Facebook she was saying some things that were alluding to the fact that there was something wrong, you know, something that she was struggling with or I wasn't sure. And so I finally sent her a, a Facebook message I said, okay, sister, it's time to spill. What's going on? And she wrote me back. She says, no, no, it's, 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 it's okay. And I'm like, well, clearly it's not because this keeps coming back up. What, what's, what's happening? And she says, I'm not sure you really want to know. And I said, do you know what I do for a living? <laughs> well, maybe you can't handle what I have. And I'm like, look, you would be surprised what people have told me over the years. I'm, you know, I'm fairly... And she said, well, okay, here it goes. She goes, I'm bipolar and I'm struggling. And I wrote back to her and I said, is that all? 
So I thought you were going to tell me you're joining a cult or something. <laughs> and she laughed. I mean, at least I think she laughed from, from what she responded to. And we had a conversation about that. Turns out, um, not too long after that, I was able to meet with her and talk with her. Um, not necessarily about that, but just to kind of get caught up. But it seemed to me that she was in that position where there wasn't a whole lot of people that she could talk to about that thing, whatever that thing was. Now, unfortunately, over the last couple of years, she's gone completely silent on Facebook. I have no idea where she's at or anything. and haven't had a chance to reach out to her family to find out. But You know, I, I think about um, stuff like that, what we call mental disorders. And I, I think both of these stories are cautions, or are cautions to how we handle things because you know, both of those individuals, these two, um, these two women, tread very carefully when they were trying to explain something that was very close to their heart, that was very painful for them. And I think the reason is that is that there's a, a certain stigma that society attaches uh, to mental disorders, to, to mental health issues. Because there, there's no really outward signs to it, right? I mean, unless things are really bad when you begin to notice it. And a friend of mine who um, at the minimum had um, attention deficit disorder but also had some other issues. And when, when he couldn't afford his medication because he was in grad school, we could tell. And a group of us were trying to figure out how we could help him. It turns out he was able to, to find some medication. And, but there was that physical expression disheveled hair, funny look on their face, language that they use, you know, all those classic signs. But for the most part, when it's being treated and when a person is dealing with it, there's no real outward expression of it, so we don't really know what to do. Unlike if somebody breaks their leg and they're on crutches and they've got a cast on, it's pretty obvious something's wrong, right? And, and what's ha what happens is just as a group of people, what we'll do is we'll rally around that person. What can we do to help? What can we, you know, can I bring you meals? Can I, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we do. And yet, when somebody's dealing with something internally, we tend to, tend to kind of forget about it. <clears throat> and then I think the other thing that happens is that the individual who's actually experiencing that pain also attaches a stigma to themselves because they're unsure of the reaction that they're going to get from the people around them. You know, are these people going to reject me because they don't know how to handle this? And I think there's a certain amount of shame. I should be able to handle this. And isn't it worse in the church? Because Christians don't have those problems, right? <laughs> Glad you're laughing because that means I don't have to convince you. And it makes sense, frankly, because we really don't know how to treat people with mental illness. You know, there are circumstances where, I, you know, it feels like it's above our ability to, to try to help. And I understand that. And we feel like we're inadequate. But what happens then is we end up treating it a little bit, little bit differently. We, we talk about it in kind of hushed tones. And it reminds me of a scene from Neil Simon's Brighton Beach Memoirs. Maybe you've seen this. I want you to... I want you to watch this and tell me if this fits a little bit, okay?
Leo. The shoemaker? What? What happened? He had cancer. Why is it old people always whisper when someone dies from? Like my Uncle May named Blanche's husband. He died from coronary. People from the old country think it's bad luck to say a disease out loud. Like if God hears you, he'll give it to you. My grandfather died from diphtheria. Anyway, after Uncle Dave died, he left Aunt Blanche with no money, not even insurance. And she couldn't support herself because she has asthma. So my big-hearted mother took her in with the two daughters, and my father had to take another job to support us all. Besides cutting raincoats, he also sells party favors to nightclubs. But I think it's getting to him, because I heard Mom say that Pop was developing So we whisper in hushed tones, you know, oh, they're having issues, right? Or sometimes in church world, hopefully not at this church, it's like, well, let's put them on the prayer list, right? And we talk about these, these issues, and yeah, it's a funny way to do it, and we laugh, and I understand why we do, but the fact of the matter is it's uncomfortably true, I think. And frankly, the church has done a really lousy job with this. On the one hand, we've been silent largely because of ignorance and fear. We've not talked about this. On the other hand, I think we've been a bit, at first I was going to say inadequate, but I, th I don't think it's inadequate. I think it's naive. Um, there's a stream of Christianity called the New Reformed um, where they say there's, that you shouldn't seek psychotherapy, that the only thing you need is biblical counseling. As if God can't use something other than the Bible or has ordained something else. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do biblical counseling. I think that's a good idea. But I also think that God moves within things like psychotherapy and moves within things like, um, you know, medicine. If, I mean, most of you know that Lisa and I are kind of on the granola end of the spectrum, right? We kind of like the natural remedies and whatnot. But if I get into a car accident, I want to go to a trauma center, Right? So can we just understand that if God is Lord and he is, if he's Lord, then he's Lord of all. And I think that we have to be careful about that. And here's the deal. If we are a people of hope and healing, and we're supposed to be, then we as a church have to help destigmatize the problem. And we have to communicate to people that even if you're dealing with that issue, we still love you. We may get it wrong. We may not understand how to help, but at least you're loved. And that we're going to try to care for you. And the fact of the matter is, is that we've got to talk about mental disorders, but we have to connect it to the fact that we believe that Jesus cares about all sorts of suffering and oppression, not just the ones that we physically can see, things that go on inside. So I want, to, I want you to consider the story of, a, of an individual who lived among the tombs. So I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 5. This is perhaps my most favorite story in all of Scripture. It's at least in the top three. I'm going, to have, I'm going to have part of it up on the screen for you. But in Mark um, chapter 3, Jesus uh, calls his disciples, the ones that he wanted to, to be with him, um, so that he could then eventually send them out. And then in chapter 6, he actually does send them out. So between chapter 3 and chapter 6, there's a bunch of little scenes where it's clear that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples some specific things, and Mark is trying to communicate that to us. And because of that, you can try to think of it as the first seminary, right? 
There are certain things that Jesus wants, and this story that we're going to read now is, is in that um, series of scenes. I want you to see this. So let's pick up the story, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So let's be clear what's going on here. First of all, uh, Jesus is traveling. He comes to a particular region. By the way, this, this region is um, not populated. Well, it is populated by mostly non-Jewish people, okay? So we have a large group of Gentiles who, who live in this particular area, the region of the Gerasenes. Um, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, this is a demon, okay? Let's, you know, I don't know why they don't just call it that, but they call it an impure spirit. He has a demon inside of him. Now, let me hit the pause button because I think we have to make a certain cautionary note. I don't want anybody to get the, the sense that I believe that all mental illness is demonic. Some of it is, but not all of it, okay? Let's just be clear about that. Uh, there's a Christian counselor. His name is uh, Neil Anderson. He's written a great book called The Victory Over the Darkness. And he says that within his particular practice... 70% of the people he sees have some type of spiritual oppression going on. Now, that may be in conjunction with chemical imbalances and whatnot, but there is a spiritual component to it. As a people of faith, we believe that there is a spiritual realm that influences the physical realm, okay? So let's just be clear about that, that there is a demonic presence in this particular case, but mental disorders may or may not have a spiritual component. Understand? Okay. What I don't want to have happen is for us to get wrapped up in the demonology of this. Frankly, they don't need any more press. It's Halloween time. Which, by the way, quick little aside, I love dressing up, I love candy, I just don't understand why it has to be evil. Put that soapbox away for a second. <laughs> Come back to it. What I want us to see is what happens, what's the result of an encounter with Jesus here. That's the important thing, I think. The other thing that you need to understand is here he is, he is living in the tombs. Now, in ancient Israel, uh, tombs weren't like holes dug in the ground with a, with a gravestone on it. In fact, they were usually caves with shelves cut into the walls. And they would, the body would be prepared and they would, they would sit on these, on these shelves, uh, much like what we would call a mausoleum, basically. Only this was a very natural kind of thing. And also, in Jewish thought, anything that was dead was considered unclean. And unclean mean that you were unfit for worship. You were unfit to be in the presence of God. And so you would have to go through a series of rituals. If you weren't a Jew, it didn't matter because you were already unclean because you weren't a Jew. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't one of those things that they worried about. However, there is some uh, evidence within the ancient rabbis that if a person lived in the tombs, it was a sign of insanity. Surprise, surprise, right? But there's actual discussion about this with some of the ancient rabbis. And of course, they would have been after this particular time, but you can see that there was some thought um, 
here in play. As you read the story, obviously something's very wrong with this individual. <laughs> I think this is what's so fascinating to me. He was chained at one point. Remember, there was no modern treatment. What we would call modern treatment for these types of disorders, if you acted like an animal, you were treated like an animal. And so if an animal was going crazy, you chain it up or you try to put it down. But in this case, nothing could bind him because he had apparently some type of superhuman strength. And then verse 5, it says he cried out and he cut himself. Something was deeply, deeply wrong. In fact, this picture is a man, uh, the picture that we have here is of a man who is tortured inwardly and outwardly. And if you were of a first century Jew, Jew or a Christian, there is a part of you that would read this story and say, this person is without hope. Completely and utterly devoid of any type of hope. If there is a more despairing picture, I'm not sure that we can find it, at least within the text. So, some of you know where this story goes. In verses 6 through 13, I'll just briefly go through this. The man comes before Jesus because he is filled with this impure spirit. Turns out it wasn't just one impure spirit, it was multiple. In fact, he called himself legioned because there were many of them. The legion begged Jesus not to send them out. Now, first of all, this superhumanly strong spirit is kneeling at the feet of Jesus. We should, we should note that. Secondly, it knows, or they know, what Jesus is capable of and says, don't send us out of the region. Hey, there's a herd of pigs. Put us in the pigs. So Jesus says, um, or uh, acquiesces to that, and says, fine, go ahead. They jump into the pigs, and the pigs run and drown themselves in the sea. Which shows exactly um, what the ultimate intention of these demonic beings uh, really was, was, was destruction. As if we didn't know the self-destruction that we saw in verses 1 through 5. But we, we can see it very dramatically here. <clears throat> so the exorcism happens to the pigs, the pigs drown themselves. Oh, which, by the way, um, Jews don't eat pigs. So we know that this is a Gentile region. And we know that there are, there are non-Jews in the area. I find it interesting that Jesus was going there. So let's pick up the story again after this dramatic altercation. <laughs> I love this verse. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and, and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Now, this is really interesting to me because the, the pig herders are out there. They see what happens. They want to run back and report it because they don't want any liability here, <laughs> right? This is called saving your own skin, right? Um, there's some things that just never change. And then the other thing that doesn't change is the fact that all the townspeople in the countryside came out to see what happened because there's nothing more exciting than a train wreck, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so here they all, they all kind of show up. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, this is interesting. They were afraid, and they asked Jesus to leave the region. Why is that? Why is that? Okay, so the scariest 
individual has just been subdued by this wandering rabbi. So if he's stronger than that guy, what's he all about? Understand? And we're Gentiles, he's a Jew, we might be in trouble. See how this all fits together? And so they asked Jesus to leave. But why did they ask Jesus to leave? Because of the story? No, because of the evidence. And I want you to see this. The man who was once possessed by the legion of demons was sitting there dressed and in his right mind. They had not seen this individual that way before. He was sitting there peacefully. Remember, he used to cry out and cut himself with stones. There's a frantic um, nature uh, that is communicated in the text. And here he is, peaceful, dressed. He's he's normal, and he's, he's in his right mind. He can actually have a conversation. It's not a weird conversation. It's a stark, stark contrast to what we see in the first five verses. And for me, and this is the reason why it's my favorite, one of my favorite stories, is that this is a picture of real salvation. You see, in the church, we often talk about salvation being me and my personal Jesus, which, that's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with me and my personal Jesus, but I want you to see this picture. There's no um, four spiritual laws in the sinner's prayer, and yet, do you think Jesus created a follower that day who believed in him? Yeah, I think so. Jesus fought for him by alleviating his affliction. Don't miss the outcome. It is not because he was possessed by demons. It was because of the goodness of God and the power of Jesus. We have to connect those two things. And I've heard this um, this story, you know, used in sermons years upon end where it was all about the demons. All about, I could care less about the demons. Look what Jesus did sitting there dressed in his right mind, which is the ultimate outcome that we want for people. Now, please understand, there are um, different categories of mental disorders. In fact, I did a little bit of research just so I could educate myself because, frankly, I, I didn't really know. Um, there are disorders of anxiety. There are disorders of mood, and I don't just mean mood swings. Um, there are issues that are called psychotic disorders, which include things like schizophrenia. Um, there are trauma-related disorders. We call it PTSD as one of them. There are eating disorders like my friend had up in Wisconsin. There are addictive disorders, and there are personality disorders. There's probably a few more, but these are the general categories that they uh, tend, uh, are usually uh, lumped together in just as a, a way of understanding things. In church, what we need to do is we have to be praying for the people who, who wrestle with this because my guess in a group this size, we know somebody. If it's not us, it's probably somebody that we know, right? And I think that at the very minimum, when we find out, we need to pray that the healer, the one who cast out the legions, can help this person deal with whatever it is so that they may sit and they may be dressed and they be in their right mind. Now that may be different for every person what that looks like, but the outcome is the same, that they might receive some type of alleviation of whatever that suffering is. Now they may need to go through some kind of psychotherapy, and I think that's probably a very good thing. And if you need help, 
Thrive Church is here to help you with that. You just need to understand that. I know from our uh, board of directors all the way down to our staff, we are committed to helping people get healthy. And if, you need, if that needs to be a reference or if that needs to be financial, we're here because we believe that God is still in the business of healing and we'll use any method possible to get you there. You just need to hear that from me. So we need to pray. We need to put our money where our mouth is, frankly. But we also have to be willing to pitch in when we can, as much as, as we can. So there's two sides to this. And this is where it gets hard. The two sides to this as a church, we need to be loving and caring about the people who are wrestling with this. But at the same time, if you're wrestling with this, we need to know. And please understand that um, I, I, I totally get the thought of the reaction and the potential rejection that you might receive. Um, and so you share as much or as little as you want to because we are privileged to walk with you as little or as much as you want us to. But we can't help anything we don't know about. And the only way this thing gets destigmatized is if we talk about it and bring it out into the light. You hear me? I don't love you because you got it all together. Because if you knew how much I didn't have together, I wonder if you'd love me. (laughs) Can we just all deal with that reality right there? You got your junk, I got mine. Let's just start in that position. There's one other issue that we need to to address whenever we talk about mental um, illness, mental disorders. And it's, it's a tough one but I think we need to talk about it. What about suicide? Because as a church, we don't talk about this very often. In fact, this is the question. Remember a while back, we had you fill out some some questionnaires, you know, saying, I can't ask about that in church. And sometimes I think that there's this um, part here that says we can't talk about this in church. And I want to I address this because I think it's, it's really important. And really, the point is to this, let's just be honest. I'm going to put it all out on the table, and I hope this isn't bringing up bad memories for everybody, but I want you to hear this. The real question people ask, what about suicide, is, is it really about heaven or hell? And I want you to hear from me. I want you to hear where I think the truth is on this, okay? The early church, and for a long time, Catholics, said that life and death was the providence of God, that suicide violated the sixth commandment to not murder, and so it was considered a grave or a mortal sin. And what made it so difficult was when the person died, they didn't have the opportunity to repent, and so they weren't given a Christian burial. Since the mid-1990s, the Catholic Church has backed away from that position, and I am very thankful for that. Because really what happens is, is that when we talk about mortal sin, when we talk about a grave sin, the definition is, is that they do it with full knowledge and consent. If you are thinking about taking your own life, do you have full knowledge and consent? Are you in your right mind? The answer is clearly no. So how on earth can we say that they've committed this thing when they're not in their right mind? Does this make sense? Is this, is this logical to you? I mean, do they have that full knowledge? 
And so I do not believe, and this church does not believe that suicide is some kind of unpardonable sin. They don't believe that at all. First of all, I ain't qualified to make that judgment, and neither are you. And secondly, I believe in a merciful God. Is there going to be a judgment someday? Yes, but I serve a God of mercy and compassion and hope. <laughs> Period. In fact, I think that, that God may, may actually have more compassion for those who suffer mentally and emotionally because of all the stigma, because of all the shame, and because of all the junk that we add to it. And so I want you to hear that from me. Do I think this is unpardonable? Are they going to heaven or hell? I don't know. That's up to God, but I choose to believe in a merciful God who will act compassionately towards them on that day. And it's up to, up to the relationship that they had. And if they've got some type of um, imbalance or something that's going on in their brain that doesn't allow them to think, then God knows that and God loves them anyway. I don't want to serve a God who isn't like that. And so in the series that we're, we're doing um, called I Can't Ask That in Church, um, when we had you take these surveys, there was a couple of things that kind of bubbled up to the surface. And these are tough questions that often get ignored in the church. And I think that it's important. Um, we, we got a couple of responses, and I totally understand this, and I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking it, but, you know, hey, you know what? You know, you're kind of worried about all this stuff. Just preach from the Bible. You'll be okay. Whoa, 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 time out, time out. You need to understand what's going on. There is a mass exodus out of the church, and it's not just young people because we choose to ignore the tough questions and to not deal with things biblically. And you know what? We all don't have to agree, but we do have to go to the text and say, here's what it says. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to live? How are we going to act? How are we going to behave as a church, as a hands and feet of Jesus, in light of what we're learning in the text? And so we want to we deal with it. The stakes are too high to continue to ignore it. And that's why over the last... I don't know, a year or so, you've heard us talk about things like environment, the Me Too movement, other issues that have cropped up from time to time, and I'm afraid that pretty soon you and I are going to have a conversation about the economy. <laughs> I'm a little worried about that one as well. But the point is, is that we want to do in this series is we want to talk about things that are tough, and we're, we're going to do a couple of them now. We'll probably do a couple more at the beginning of the new year. Next week, Pastor James is going to pick up politics. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Right? <laughs> Setting you up for, for success on that one, buddy. <laughs> but the man's got a degree in politics and theology. Let me tell you, he's a hoot at parties. So, you know, if anybody's going to pick it up, it's going to be James. I'm glad you're laughing because I think that these things are really tough for us to tackle, but that's what the church is. If the church doesn't deal with that, who will? Who will? And I'm not going to tell you that we are the definitive answer on this. But I will tell you, we will be the thoughtful ones. And it will be willing to have the discussion and to debate it. We may land on a place that you've landed differently on. The question is, can we still love each other? 
Because I think that's really the issue that Jesus calls us to. Can we be a diverse body and still love one another? And the answer is yes, but it's hard. (laughs) If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. And not everybody's doing it. (laughs) So we know that it's difficult. So we start with this tough question. And I'm still driven to the same place that I always go to. Jesus is the healer. And Jesus desires for us to be whole and healthy. How he gets there is up to him. Does he use human intervention or does he do divine intervention? I don't really care as long as his kingdom is made manifest among us. That his kingdom would be here on earth. Because remember, my fundamental premise is that God is less interested in getting us into heaven than he is in bringing heaven to earth. Because God knows we need it here. <laughs>